Disclaimer, the host of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below happy 2021. We're about three weeks into the new year so far, and this year is shaping up to be a lot like last year so far in many ways. But we're still here. We're still pumping out episodes week after week, talking to amazing people, and our guest this week is is super, super cool and a badass in her own way, and just in an overall way, she's a badass. Uh, Valerie Brasso is our guest this week, and we'll be getting to that interview in a minute, but first I wanted to tell you about our new shirts and sweatshirts. That's right. Above Ground Podcast is teamed up with our good friends at Close Knit Company in Florida. That's right. Dan and Natalie, big shout-outs to them. They were recently married, so congratulations on that, but they uh they create screen printed shirts uh they're awesome they've got shirts for all kinds of occasions uh big buffalo bills fan as as the show was being produced this morning um the buffalo bills will be playing the kansas city chiefs tomorrow uh saturday so uh when this episode comes out on wednesday we'll know who's going to the afc championship and as a lifelong new york resident and the only real new york football team legitimate football team the bills are we're rooting for the bills even though in my household we're rooting for the green bay packers but that's besides the point but needless to say close knit has teamed up with us to develop a couple of t-shirts uh well t-shirts and sweatshirts uh we have a logo sweatshirt which is available in gray for 32 dollars, and we also have a black t-shirt with a white logo and on the back it says be well be safe be above Dan did an awesome job with them, and Dan and Natalie model them on the website, and pretty soon you'll be seeing us in them too because I'm getting ready to order some for myself and some other people. But that's right. They came out, and if you go to their closeknitco.com and click under Shop by Occasion, you can find their Collab X box on the bottom. It'll say Collab X, and that's where you click, and you'll find our stuff uh, all the proceeds that we make from these t-shirts uh, are going back into the show. We're, we're trying to develop the show and we're trying to get things even tighter and better in 2021 because 2021 is all about getting better and expanding. Uh, I want to thank everyone. Uh, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to start thanking everyone that's been donating on our PayPal Me. We have a PayPal Me uh, at Above Ground Podcast where you can donate to the show uh, whatever you can afford, if you can afford anything. Uh, but if you do donate, please leave me a note to tell me who you are so I can contact you. Um, as I'm recording this, I've had kind of a chaotic weekend so far, so I didn't really get a chance to go through our donations uh, this week. But next week, I will start shouting out to everybody that's donated. 
and anybody who buys a t-shirt uh, let us know show us a picture put it on our instagram put it on our facebook uh, it's at above ground podcast you can't miss us so we we're really excited about this collaboration dan is a great screen printer and um He's make they make some really cool designs and it's it's cool to see all their videos. So go for, check them out on Instagram at Close Knit Co. Go follow them on Facebook. They're cool people. Can't wait to get down to Florida at some point and meet them and see them because I've I've never met them personally, but uh, TPP knows them very well. So it's awesome. So this week we have Valerie Brasso. Valerie is a mental health advocate. She's a speaker. Um, she is a jiu-jitsu player. I think I'm saying that correctly. And she is an all-around badass. She is a mental health advocate, and she is based in Canada. And her story is incredible. And she was so much fun to talk to. And uh, we wish her the best. And it's awesome. As the weeks go on, you're going to be hearing interviews from all over, all over the world. Um, we've got some cool ones coming up. And if you are out there and you're a mental health advocate or you have a mental health website or there's some way that we can collaborate man please send us an email at gmail uh, at abovegroundpodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on instagram at abovegroundpodcast and uh, we'll, we'll get some interviews happening and maybe we can team up together and spread the message of of wellness over illness and and tim and i uh are big into this struggle buddy concept and we're developing this right now so you're going to be hearing more about that in the upcoming weeks too so we need some buddies out there so if you want to buddy up with us let us know so without further ado this week valerie brasso what is up everyone welcome to above ground podcast above ground podcast because you can't serve below. You know who that is. You down with TPP? Yeah, you know me. Tima, 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 Tima. What's up, buddy? How are you this week? I'm okay. Well, I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. How are you, pal? Dude, I was expecting a little bit more energy. That's what I was expecting, you know? Uh, you know, sitting here by the fake fire. I got, <laughs> I got the heating pad on my leg. I'm so old now. It's like... It's just trying to, you know, trying to recoup. Yeah. Well, we are on Zoom again, yeah. so that means it's time for another real convo here on Above Ground Podcast. And I am stoked and honored and can't wait to dig into this. Uh, we have one of the coolest, badass ladies of Canada. She's from Toronto. Her name is Valerie Brasso. That's what I'm, I hope I got that right. And she is a writer, a speaker, an artist, and she's a mental health advocate. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I uh, must echo Tim's sentiment a little bit. I feel like the past few days I've lacked a bit of energy, but it's actually <laughs> interesting because I, I received a message from a client just yesterday. I made an Instagram story explaining that I wasn't feeling super awesome, but the blog was going to come out anyway and to look out for it on Monday. And I got a message from a client that said something along the lines of, you know, you've helped me so much. So I think it's time for me to give it back to you. I just wanted you to know that you're awesome and you can do this and you've got this. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's what mental health is all about. It's about exactly. each other. I love that's it. Awesome. That's awesome. And you are a badass. I mean, you rolled BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was just like, 
I was floored. I'm like, I listened to uh, your recent podcast with Whisper Kick, and I was just like, heard your story, and I watched uh, some of your training video that was on for uh, what was it uh, something for the state? Uh, I'm sorry, so, I forgot. Submit the stigma. Is yeah, what you're yeah, to. yeah, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. So tell us, tell our listeners about you. Uh, tell us about your journey, and uh, we'll we'll start asking you some questions and uh, things. Sounds good. Um, where I usually like to start is that uh, in 2013, I began volunteering for a distress center on their crisis helpline. And to me, that was in the hopes of helping to provide a service that I wish I knew existed when I was in my darkest place. And that's where it really all begins. I knew that when I was struggling, I did not know what resources were out there. I did not know that I deserved to reach out to those resources. I didn't know that reaching out for help is actually a sign of strength as opposed to a weakness. And when I started realizing that mental health is something we have to actively talk about and take care of, I wanted to be involved and I joined this distress center. And I thought if, if I had known something like this existed when I was in that spot, that would have made such a huge difference. So I wanted to help provide that for other people. And that's what really launched me on um, this career path. So the career side of the journey kind of began with that. And the mental health side of the journey began. I mean, I, I would have to say at birth, you know, I mean, part of what I struggle with are, are disorders that I've been diagnosed with. That's something that I'll have to manage for the rest of my life. And that sort of manifested in childhood. So the journey has been a long one, but finding purpose in it probably around 2013 is when that kind of came about. That is awesome. And that's what we, that's what we strive to do here at above ground podcast is, is present uh, this in a, in a purposeful way, because this has become our purpose also. Um, and 2013 was a magical year for me too. Um, uh, 2012, I found myself putting a plan together to end my life and I procrastinated luckily. Um, and I just, and, and truth be told is that I, I started to put the plan together and I had to have this in order and I had to do this and, and Wayne Dyer, do you know who Dr. Wayne Dyer is? Mm -hmm. uh, his words don't die with your music still inside you just happened to catch me at the right time and cracked me open like a walnut yeah. and I got help. And I've been on this journey ever since. And Tim also has his own, had his own struggles and, him and I have been friends for a long time, but uh, we separated friendship for a while and then kind of came back together with this idea that was sort of separate at the time, but we brought it together to form Above Ground Podcast. So we thank you for being here. And and actually, I want to say thank you for being here. I've listened, to, like I said, I watched your TED Talk and I mean, you've made a bunch of attempts and yep. you've and you've survived and that's why when I was asking you, how are you? I really genuinely mean, how are you? How are you doing now? I am doing much better now. That is not to say that those thoughts don't still pop up. I, I do believe I've come to term with terms with the fact that suicidal thoughts will be chronic for me. Um, it's just something that pops up a connection that brain that my brain makes, but it's something that I have to continually fight. And the fact that I now know that I fought it before and I've won means that I can do it again. And that's, that's awesome. what I, thank you. That's what I really try to hold on to is just that thought of, you know, I like the saying so far you've survived a hundred percent of your worst days. Me too. It's on my refrigerator. I see it Amazing. every day. Yeah. Amazing. It's awesome. Um, speaking of 
speaking of quotes, I just wanted to mm-hmm. say this one to you. I, I wear my insides carved into my outsides. Like I, that, when I heard you say that, I couldn't, I just, I stopped, I stopped the video for a minute. I had to like sit there this morning at like five 30. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, I, that's just such, so poignant, such a poignant and, and beautiful way of putting like, and brave. Style. Yeah, very brave. Absolutely. Like, it's not easy it, to do. Where does that, all this come from? It's, uh, I think I've always had uh, sort of a, a leaning towards the arts to express what it is that I, that I do go through. And it's helped me express things in a way that, um, that I can't in other ways. And when I came up with that phrase, it just, that's truly how it felt to me. I, you know, people have stared at my self-harm scars and my suicide attempt scars and people have given glances and they're not sure they kind of want to ask. They kind of don't want to ask. They're not sure they have this morbid fascination and it's hard to suss out sometimes who genuinely wants to understand better and just who has that, that morbid curiosity about it. But that's truly what it feels like. It's just, here's me you can see it on the outside, all of the demons that I live with on the inside, and there's no escaping it. And I've, I've come to the point where if I see somebody staring or glancing, I'll bring it up because I think it's an important conversation to be had. And it kind of reminds me of um, something that happened a few months ago. I was, I was donating blood for the first time. I saw which, your Instagram post. About yeah, that. exactly. So um, between all the tattoos and the piercings and the traveling, I had never had the chance to give blood before. So I finally had the opportunity and the nurse was noticing the scars on my arms, but she never really quite said anything. She would just kind of give me these knowing looks. And uh, when she was wiping it down with the little, um, um, what do you call it? Alcohol um, swab. Yeah, exactly. To put the needle in just the, the feel of her warm touch on my scars, it just felt so vulnerable. And I, I sort of started crying a little bit. And what she said to me was just so powerful. She just said, you know, you don't have to apologize for this. You don't have to explain. It's what you've been through. It's your journey. It, it means a lot in terms of who you are, but you don't have to explain it to anyone. And I'm not here to judge. And just that moment to me, wow, yeah, it was really powerful. Yeah. You don't see that kind of, uh, um, open understanding often Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so that's and, a good thing and you talk a lot For about sure. how we don't we don't see the the invisible fights because you talk a lot about physical health and and tim and i have mentioned this quite a bit on this podcast over the last couple of years about how mental health is is like this invisible fight that no one knows you're having mm-hmm. and like what has it taught you about people as far as like, because I, I know um, that w- the one quote that really stuck with me was what you try to kill yourself in your in your TED talk and and how awkward and gauche you called it. Yeah, um, that must have been for him. But but I suppose people who don't have the language to describe it, it's awfully hard to start a conversation. But what have you learned about people? Have you learned that people are more empathetic or do you think they're more skittish about stuff? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that one thing that's incredibly important to remember, which I've learned through many different instances of this happening is that you never know who is in the room or the conversation or the 
bus or whatever area it is that you're in that you're discussing mental health you never know who's there and I actually was um, a guest coach on a coaching program for athletes a couple months ago and I was teaching them a unit on resilience and and fostering resilience in one's own life and at the end of the unit I shared a bit of my story hoping that that would kind of drive the point home and when I mentioned my suicide attempts there's a, a woman in the group I could see the look on her face she just changed completely from sort of respectful engagement to, okay, I'm in this now. And she actually raised her hand and shared, you know what, I've had an attempt as well. And here I was thinking, these are all successful athletes. They're all put together. They're all strong. Who, who, who's going to relate to what I'm sharing right now? And then bam, right there, there was one in the group who said, I feel so much more comfortable now to share what I've been through because you just shared your story and you never know who's in that conversation. That's why having the words to talk about it in a compassionate and respectful way is going to be so huge because when people are flippant, they take away that safe space to talk about mental health. And the person in the group who's dealt with depression, who has a, an uncle with schizophrenia, who has dealt with anxiety, they're not going to speak up. The moment that you've made it clear that you're not tactful and you're not respectful about that topic, you've just shut off that conversation. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I, my mother is schizoaffective, lives with schizoaffective disorder. Uh, mm-hmm. she's, attempt, she's attempted suicide twice in my life. And I think the thing that keeps me going is the fact that I know that if I was to attempt or take my own life, that my daughter is even more at risk for that happening to her because it's been proven that, uh, children of, of suicide attempts, survivors or suicide or suicide people who die by suicide Mm -hmm. are actually more apt to attempt or have issues like that and i I think it's very important to have the conversation and i i have no problem with opening up i'm an open book like i'll i'll talk about anything i don't care and i always look for an opening because i think that there's always an opening and i think that you can find the vulnerability in any conversation if you're willing to just hear what the other person is saying Mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting though to hear um, you know, cause we, we all, we all do the same, we all do the same thing with the whole perspective thing. You know, you're looking at these people, like, ah, oh, they're not going to relate. And you have you've already had, you know, developed that story in your head and, uh, come to find out, you know, it's, uh, you know, this is, uh, the road to life is, is recovery, so to speak. Absolutely. I got to ask you now the, how are you part of your Ted talk? Where did you, did you learn about how are you, did you pick that up from something? Because I, I'm a really big fan of the book reboot from Jerry Kalana Mm -hmm. and Jerry Kalana. That's one of the things that he asks in his book, because he talks about excavating the wrecks of your life, because Mm -hmm. that's the only way that you can truly grow up is by excavating those wrecks and finding the treasure in there. Did you, was that something that you were taught? Did you, or did you just learn that from being on the, on the crisis line? That's something that just came to me gradually as I kept feeling that inauthenticity of how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? And I just, when I was in those darkest places and I was having to drag myself to a job, to an office and half people asked me that question and really not give two hoots about what the answer was. It, it just started coming to me more and more of, you know, why are we asking these questions if we don't truly care? And in what situations can I start changing the paradigm by answering genuinely and seeing what the response is? Maybe it'll prompt someone to be genuine back with me. 
and then we can open up a conversation. And it has happened in the past when I, my sort of modus operandi is to share of myself in an attempt to make others comfortable to share of themselves. So that's kind of how I open up the floor for others to do the same. And that has gotten me in situations where people who have never shared with anyone else before have been able to tell me, I need support with X, Y, Z, do you have any resources? Or can I talk to you? Or how do I approach this with my partner or my mom or my boss or whatever the case may be? So it's just always been something that's been on my mind of asking these, these questions that we're not really listening for the answer. And it just didn't make any sense to me. And I remember I was at a jujitsu tournament one, one year and uh, I had moved, I'm originally from Montreal and I had moved to Toronto and I ran into a teammate from the gym I used to train at in Montreal. I hadn't seen her in a few years. And she came up to me and she goes, oh my gosh, how are you? And I thought for a second, I was like, hey, how am I going to play this? And then I thought, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to be real. And I said, hey, I'm, mm, no, I'm not good. <laughs> <laughs> Things are rough. I'm not good. I'm not doing okay. My mental health is in the garbage. I like, no, it's not going well. And for a couple of seconds, she was taken aback. But then I could see that human connection and that sort of respect for the honesty that came from her. And that's when I ended up hooking up with that nonprofit Submit the Stigma, which raises awareness for mental health in the jujitsu community because she answered with, hey, I know a girl who holds up signs. And I was like, what does that mean? And she, <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? And she explained to me that there was um, a prominent competitor who when she would get on the podium would hold up a sign that said, Submit the Stigma of Mental Illness. And um, she started getting other big name competitors to do the same. And that's how the movement grew. So I thought I got to get in contact with this girl. I got to get involved with this nonprofit. And I first um, quite a few years, I was uh, managing all the social media for it. So I got really involved with it. And it all started from that genuine answer of how are you? Mm, not Interesting. good. Yeah. It, cool. does, yeah. it does kind of give a good spin to like the, the old adage, because I like, um, is it Brene Brown that talks about, or is it, no, who is, is it, I'm trying to think of who talks about the inauthenticity in of like, how you doing or whatever. Cause like, everybody says, how you doing? I'm fine. I'm yeah. fine. But, but really fine is just fucked up, insecure, neuro neurotic and emotional. That's really <laughs> yeah. what it is. Just like <laughs> Steven Tyler said. Um, <laughs> But I, I, and I, and I'm sorry, I have to quote you again to you because I, I wanted to kind of get into this because one of your uh, blog posts really struck a chord in me. Mm -hmm. And that was the tortured artist um, blog post because I, I personally believe in the tortured artist syndrome. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not necessarily saying it's a syndrome, but when you look at all the amazing art that's been created in the world, whether it's, um, you know, Picasso, the old guitarist, because I have the old guitarist tattooed on my arm. And I, mm -hmm. I look at that portrait that hangs, I have it on my wall downstairs in my basement. And when I stare at that, I see his pain. I see the pain of him losing his friend that came from that blue period. And then I also see my own pain in that. But I, I, I saw your quote about art is supposed to pull your battles straight from your clenched fists and feed them to you through a straw. Like I, what really? That's <laughs> so awesome. I'm just like, I, I just like, that was just like, that punched me in the face. Like that was like getting hit with a George St. Pierre crack. 
was just like, what really? But, um, so tortured artist wise, like the, I think one of the ultimate tortured artists that we've lost recently is Chris Cornell. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Chris Cornell fan, just as Tim is. Um, I've had the pleasure. Uh, I got to, I I'm involved with NAMI here in, in the capital region. I'm also on the board of directors for the capital region chapter of the American foundation for suicide prevention. Awesome. And in the last few weeks, I've had a chance to make a couple of videos for both organizations. And I got to sing uh, a Chris Cornell song for Lily Cornell silver, his daughter. Mm. And um, I, I really think that tortured artists really do suffer because I think a lot of artists can't necessarily get what's in their head either onto their onto their canvas and whatever other canvas that is whether it's music or whether it's painting and they never seem to quite get to where they want to be does that and I've seen some of your artwork on your on your website like have you experienced that yourself have you experienced a tortured artist or does it flow from you a little differently when when you're in a in a certain mind space it feels for me i i always say that there's nothing compelling about the middle and that might just be a symptom of the fact that i have bipolar disorder and the extremes is just the nature of that disorder but sure at the the middle was just never a place where i found anything that sort of drew the life out of me and it's those extremes where i where i create and most often the lower extremes. Um, I've I've often, I mean, my father's asked me before, why don't you write a happy poem? And I'm thinking, ah, who wants to read that? (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of my poetry is quite dark and um, it just, it helps me process and it helps me find the beauty in those moments that are sometimes excruciatingly painful but it's an experience that no matter how painful or dark is there's connectivity there any human can relate to that no matter whether they have a disorder an illness or not they have experienced something dark in their life and it's just that moment of somebody will relate to this i i always say that i i just want to write something that means something to somebody could just be one person and that'll make me happy it's just that connection and when i'm in my darkest places it just flows out. I, I write like crazy. And I, and I have tried writing poetry in my happier days. And I have a few, I have a few poems that are a little happier, but I always look at them. and I'm like, ah, that's just mushy, fluffy stuff that no one wants to read. <laughs> it's just, there's something so complex and fascinating about those dark moments. And I think part of it is figuring out how you get out of it, how you move on from it, or how you live with it. Sometimes you are in that dark place and you're not ready to crawl out yet. The way out isn't in front of you just yet. But the fact that you're figuring it out is, I think that's the beauty there really. And that's the human experience really. Everybody is learning to live with the darkness and move out of it and find their way through it and who that makes them and and what that builds in them and the strength that they find. So that's just kind of, yeah. Nice. Well said. Thank you. Where, uh, where can we find some of this uh, poetry? I, I do actually have a blog uh, with most of my poetry. Uh, I am publishing a book in January, actually. Congratulations. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, I'll be self-publishing all of the poems uh, in, uh, yeah, probably late January. 
Good for you. Awesome. That's about when this will be coming out too, just so you know. Oh, brilliant. Because we're just about done with this year. So awesome. I should have said I should have said that at the beginning. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I like I I've read I've read a bunch of your blog posts and I like listening to you talk. You're very you put this very elegantly. Because I look at the darkness as a t-shirt. It's a very comfortable t-shirt mm. that is very easy to slip into. Mm-hmm. It's like the best pair of jeans you got. They make yep. your butt look really good, but they're really bad for you because they're too tight. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, and we're, and that's a, a part of our, part of above ground podcast was, um, we, we like to stomp out stigma because that's mm-hmm. really what this is all about. And I, I find it very refreshing that there's not as many men in the space necessarily, but I hope that there's more and I hope more can come to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what other things like, what other, uh, what I wanted to ask you about is how is your support system? Have you always had a good support system? Did you struggle with that in the beginning? I definitely did in the beginning, not for, not through any fault of the people around me, but for the sheer fact that I didn't think I deserved support. I seemed to feel like what I was experiencing was more of a flaw in character rather than a medical condition. And I saw myself crumbling at every onset of emotion and nobody else was living their life that way. And I thought, you know what, I'm doing something wrong. I need to just be better be different, be normal, whatever that means. And with, I, uh, I, I got to interrupt you for a second. Cause mm-hmm. I got to ask the, the, uh, the character flaw thing that you, were you, was that something that you, you, you perceived it as, or were you made to believe that? It's a little bit of both. Um, it's definitely something that I internalized, but I did grow up in a household with, um, which in some way is very helpful. It's very high standards. Um, pressure to do well, to perform, to excel. And I don't believe it came from a lack of love. I think it just came from a, a, a lack of being equipped with the right words to deal with mental illness. Um, I don't think there was any malicious intent there. It's just, um, sure. okay. I mean, I'm, I'm 33 years old, even 20 years ago, where we were at in terms of mental health awareness is not where we are now. So in terms of that education factor, um, there's definitely, I'm, I'm very grateful that a lot of people close to me were willing to educate themselves, to read up on the disorders that I have, to learn how to best support me. And through me learning to have the self-awareness to acknowledge, A, when I have ineffective behaviors due to my symptoms that are not healthy and not helpful to the people around me, and then how to mitigate that, and B, to know when to reach out for help and be open to it, I've been able to create this support system where there is a sort of a reciprocal understanding of here's how you're going to support me and here's how I'm going to be a good supported person, <laughs> you know, as opposed to fighting back and, oh, I don't need help, I'm fine. And uh, it just, it took a while to get there. It was definitely a, a journey of growth and, and learning and um, learning together as well. But now I have a great support system. I have friends that are incredible. My, my partner, my fiance is just so compassionate and so willing to learn at every turn. How do I help better with this? Why is it that you feel this way when this happens? Did you take your meds today? Everything. He's just, he's incredible. So 
that's been super, super helpful. And even just the fact that I've decided to throw caution to the wind and uh, start this mental health business as a career, he is working extra to support us while my business is getting up off the ground. And that's been amazing. And my, my mom and I have never been closer. We definitely have been through a lot. I mean, I have to remind myself that she is the person who will live for the rest of her life with the image of me in an ambulance with the pads shocking me back to life and see me in a coma for a week in a hospital bed, not knowing whether I would wake up again. And I will never be able to take that memory away from her. And I'm just so grateful that she is still by my side, despite having that, that trauma essentially that I gave her. And um, it's, I know it was a lot for her and it was a learning process for both of us. And, and she's an incredible support now, which is amazing. I'm super thankful for it. Do you still struggle with a guilt from that? like from leaving your mother feeling like that like do you feel guilty at all have you got have you worked through that it's something that I I've mostly worked through I think there will always be a sense of this is something that I've left her with that can never be erased um but I have been able to work on some self-talk of this, this is an illness. This was not a malicious choice that I made. There was no intent to traumatize anyone. It was just, I was in such a dark place where the, the way that I like to phrase it when it comes to suicide is that it, it is a choice that we make, but in that moment, it feels as if there is no choice. And that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty spot on right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that is. I, I've, I've learned a lot in my last few years uh, about suicide. Wow. Um, and I also, I also believe that unless you've tasted that darkness, you don't fully grasp the, the emotion and mm -hmm. the, 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 the black that is yeah. there because you're, you don't understand quite what brings someone to feel that low and yeah. I had a conversation today with someone um, and we had, we were talking about this very thing and he hadn't experienced it himself, but he lost somebody pretty close recently. And he, he had said that, you know, it, it took me a while to get over this selfish thing where I felt like it was the selfish thing to do. And, and I, I, at first, when I used to hear that, I, I used to think that myself in my twenties, because I was a different person then and I didn't have the language and I also didn't have, um, I didn't realize that I was also struggling with depression. I've been struggling with depression since I was nine years old. And I, I felt this darkness like literally thump me off the chest and I didn't know what it was until many, many years later when I found myself, you know, crying at the drop of a hat and, mm -hmm. and not being able to explain why I was so miserable but I just knew that I was miserable and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to comprehend what goes on in somebody's mind when they've come to this point of, of realizing that, wow, you know, I feel that I don't have anything else to give. Mm -hmm. um, how did you find the, the strength to, to start climbing out of those, out of those holes? It's, I, it, it's such a complex thing and it's so much to think about because, and I, I feel like I want to be transparent as well. I mean, I'm still 
in those holes at times now, you know? And uh, it's like you were saying with the favorite pair of jeans, the visual that I like to use is being in a hole. And instead of trying to crawl out, you're just piling more dirt on yourself. <laughs> I've, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've said there. that. I've, I've said that actually I wrote, uh, I wrote something. Um, well, actually we did, uh, we each did um, an episode for like ourselves. We kind of told our story mm-hmm. and um, there was a, I kind of wrote up something beforehand to just try and stay on um target or whatever you want to call it but anyways i said almost that exact same thing it was like anytime you would try to reach to 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 climb out you'd be pulling more sand and rocks on top that's how that's how it was for me i mean to a t i can completely relate to that because it it becomes expected and comfortable and despite the fact that the darkness hurts you know you know what's coming Right. Whereas, you know, it's, you know, it's there and it's, it's exactly. just become something that you're so used to you, you. And that's the thing about trauma, like traumatic childhoods and, and anything that we take with us, any trauma whatsoever, whether it happens in your adult life or not, mm-hmm. if you can normalize, you know, you can normalize anything and survival mode will create this normalization of even the most abnormal. Activities. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that, it's interesting because many people will look at me now and think she's better. And, and I have to, I have to yeah. fight that notion. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still, excuse Again. my language. Yeah. I'm still bad crap crazy. Just, you know, <laughs> I, I am, I, I always will be. And that's part of what I like to think is kind of what's magic about me because I can verbalize it and I can inspire people with it, but there always will be that darkness. I just have to continue to fight it. And I've come to a place where, I wouldn't say that I'm better. I would say that I now have a toolkit for dealing with it and I know how to manage it. And it's something that I have to continually do consistently, regularly, little step by little step, which builds momentum. And that's exactly what I push with all of my clients is little steps. Don't try to take it on all at once. It's just, you're going to keep making progress. You will have steps backwards. I, I did an entire, um, um, segment for a a volunteer education day for my center about recovery and the whole point of it was that it's not linear right it's fluid Mm -hmm. recovery is fluid and it's on like this scale of there's a a wellness and illness scale and you're always somewhere on that scale tipping one way or the other absolutely you're speaking tim's language too because tim talks about the tool belt all the time amazing yeah Yeah, and 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 the root i call it routine maintenance Right. You know what I mean, I compare it to uh, your vehicle, a car, whatever you're driving. You know, you got to check the, uh, you know, the tire pressure. You got to check the, uh, you know, the air, air filters and, and the gas and the oil. You got to do these changes. And if you don't, guess what happens? You know, you could be stranded in a dark spot on a, on a throughway that you don't know where you're at and it's not going to be good. So, Absolutely. yeah, that's to me, that's the key is you, you, you know, you, that's why I always say like, above all else, I think being mindful is key because you have to pay attention and, and be mindful of these things. Mm-hmm. And when you feel the darkening start to come on, you have to start to, to be proactive with it because, exactly. you know, it can, it can, it can take its grasp pretty quick. Yeah, for sure. And I think that self-care needs to be 
preventative and not purely crisis management. You need to be doing it. And, and that's when people forget, oh, I'm, I'm feeling fine. I don't need to do these exactly. things. Exactly. Yes. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's the, the yeah, problem. That's when you need it the most. Exactly. So I got to ask you, how did your martial arts fit into this? And did this, and did your, did your mental health make you question? Because I, I, I know that there's, I, we, we've, Tim and I both, um, read a lot of Buddhist stuff and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And the, the closest I get to martial arts is Qigong. Cause I, I like Qigong and stuff, but, um, I can't roll cause I have a bad neck and bad spine. Mm-hmm. But, um, where did your martial arts training, did it help you? Did it hinder you? Did it, did it set you up for some sort of recovery in one way or another? It kind of goes both ways. They kind of communicate with each other. So Jiu-jitsu taught me a lot about my propensity for toughness, my ability to overcome things, my ability to withstand moments that are more vulnerable, more uncomfortable, which in terms of the sport would be more physically. But that translates and parallels pretty aptly with emotional and mental vulnerability and and the toughness that's required in that arena and finding that balance between... um, being, being tough and being able to withstand things, but also knowing when to reach out for help. And that's what's interesting to me about jujitsu is that it's, you're fighting on your own. It's an individual sport, but you're, you're part of a team. So I've had to learn to rely on my teammates and open up to them with things that were more difficult for me, things that I needed support with. And that sort of ended up leading into me doing the same with those teammates with my mental health. And it just really gave me a sense of, um, I guess I would say resilience, a sense of pushing through and just keeping going. And uh, the fact that I went back to that sport every time that I, you know, had um, a crisis or an attempt or a hospitalization, and I would still get out and come back on the mats and find my place there in my community and be able to keep going. It really showed me that I'm, I'm able to get through things and keep pushing. And again, there will be steps backwards. It's not always going to be a straight uphill trajectory but there's uh there's an opportunity to learn about myself to learn what I'm capable of and I competed for quite some time and let me tell you I oh my gosh I get so nervous for competitions it's nerve-wracking and yet I keep going back because it allows me to work on that and it relates to the anxiety that I get in everyday life just as an anxious person what I have to deal with and it allows me to in real time, try out those tools that I have and see where I can tweak things, what works, what doesn't, what I've learned to use and and that kind of thing. So there, there are many parallels between my mental health journey and my, um, my career, if you will, as a jujitsu competitor. At what age did you notice the onset of, of your, of your mental health starting to deteriorate? Did you notice it or did you, or did something all of a sudden just drop on you like a ton of bricks? I, uh, I mentioned for the first time that I wanted to die when I was 10 years old and a friend's mother overheard me and then told my mother who asked me if I wanted to go talk to someone. And at, at 10 years old, she, she didn't want to push. I was terrified to speak to a stranger. I thought I was fine. Everything's okay. I don't need to go into an office and talk to some lady I've never met before. 
And um, my, my mom just felt that it was safer not to push me on that, which I completely respect. Um, because that's a really tough spot to be in. Your, your child is 10. Are you really going to force them to go speak to a stranger? Like that's a tough decision to make. So I completely respect that. And then from that point on, I just kind of knew that I was different, that I was sad for no reason sometimes, that I had trouble accepting that my interests and my um, personality traits were maybe a little bit different than most of the other kids. And, and I felt weird for that. And I was bullied a lot. So it was it was definitely, you know, elementary school, middle school was definitely a little bit rough. In high school, I settled in with a really great group of friends and that kind of quieted things down a little bit. But when I ended up at McGill for university in my, um, I was 17 when I went to McGill. And then in my early 20s is when it kind of came to a head and I started realizing that I, life was different for me. Not everybody is struggling this much. I, you know, I'm seeing people that are able to live their lives fairly content and being able to manage the stressors that are thrown at them. And I'm, and I'm not, something's going on here. And uh, I had my, my first attempt a little bit after I graduated, I was in a relationship that was somewhat emotionally abusive. And I, um, I had that, that first attempt. And that's when we really realized that um, some, something's going on here. And uh in my early 20s is when I was eventually diagnosed with, uh, like I mentioned before, bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder as well. Wow. Would you say, would you say that there was like, um, like a, a succession of things like variables that contributed to that? Or was it like maybe one big event that that happened? Or maybe like one like, uh, you know, singular train of thought, maybe? I would say that uh, I've actually, this is interesting. I've, I've worked with, um, there's a friend of mine who's a, a coach, um, sort of success coach type of thing that she does. And uh, we were having a discussion on limiting beliefs. And I do have a very strong core belief that I am innately inadequate and not good enough. And that's something that was, it's a tough one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. You've come to the right yeah, you're in the right place. Yeah, you got the duo here, man. We're the dynamic duo. Self word the, there. Come on in, the water's fine. Perfect. <laughs> and um, that's something that really that I that I grew with. That that I ended up sort of feeding as I was growing up, and it just got out of hand and got to the point where nothing I did was good enough for mainly myself. I mean, I did have a bit of pressure from my family, but it just became something that I would put on myself. And then that translated into romantic relationships where I never felt good enough. I was always insecure that the person would leave me. I was just all kinds of things that were completely unhelpful. And <clears throat> excuse me, with uh, borderline personality disorder, many symptoms are very interpersonal. And for me, they show up mostly in romantic relationships. And that seems to be where the crux of the issue is. And that's what finally came to a head with this attempt is uh, a fight, a breakup. And okay, well, if, if this person doesn't want to be with me, then who, who else will possibly want to be with me? I'm done. I'm out of here. I, let's call it. We're, this is over. So it's that really that belief that I, that I, took with me from some childhood experiences and then just kept feeding. I'm not good enough. I'm inadequate. I can't do anything right. And I just, it just became sort of the, the framework for how I saw myself. 
it seems like something that you can fall easily into because I've struggled with that my whole life. My parents' uh, relationship blew up when I was very young. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost drowned when I was four. Oh, wow. And uh, my mom saved me in that instance, but she um, she struggled very, very, very much even during my entire child, like in the first five years that I was alive. And I could tell that something was wrong with her. Mm-hmm. And I had an incident with her when I went to stay with her after my parents' marriage blew up. I went and spent, I only spent probably two or three weekends with her before, uh, before I stopped going to see her and she was hospitalized again. But um, I remember a time where she was, uh, she had broken the toaster during the week and she was mm-hmm. intent on making toast but yet here I was at five years old knowing that the toaster was broken mm. and that it's going to cause a fire and I I never got over that um being the adult in the room right. and it happens when you grow up in an, in an alcoholic family because my dad was an alcoholic for a long time my dad's been sober for many years now but I also realized that my dad was a lot stronger in a lot of ways than I was because he didn't, he, he dealt with it in a different way. He dealt with it drinking where I dealt with it emotionally. And I just dealt it all on myself. I always felt that it was Mm -hmm. my fault was my, and I, and I'll be honest with you, there's been days and, and, and this goes, this is a cycle for me is that I, some days I wish they just left me in that pool because it would have just been easier. It would have been just easier to not know what life was really about. Because even for all the good things that have happened, you know, a lot of the bad things you, you internalize. And for me, codependent relationships have always been an issue. Mm-hmm. And even now I've been with my wife, you know, for 20 years, as far as relationship from start to now, mm-hmm. but it's still, you can tell there's definitely some codependent things that have seeped into those things and, and, right. and they affect things. And especially my own mental health crisis really did shake things up a lot in our relationship and and it's still you know it's still a thing that you know she still worries that she's gonna you know that I'm gonna say I want to check out but I I told her you know I said I do feel like that sometimes but it's not because of anything else it's just because that's how I feel sometimes right wow I I you are a badass I, I just have you. to say that I, I can't say that enough. It's just like, <laughs> I, I, we've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to know a lot of badass women and you are one of them that I've had the pleasure of meeting. Thank so you. it's awesome. It is so awesome. Can I actually ask you, um, I'm going to rewind a bit. You had said you had, and you don't have to talk about it, uh, but you can say whatever you want about it. But um, the, you had mentioned something that you were in a coma for a week. Yeah. So that was, um, the, so my first attempt was in, if I started at the distress center 2013, then it was probably around 2012. That was in Montreal. My mother, when I got out of the hospital, my mother came with a moving truck. We got everything out of my, the apartment I had with the boyfriend at the time, moved me to Ontario to be with her, uh, to recover. And then I started volunteering and I started, there's the kicker. I started that process of recovery and people assumed, well, she's fine now. Right. And then, she's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then a few years later, I had attempts two and three within a month of each other. And um, attempt number two was the most severe. And that was um, about 300 pills and half a bottle of whiskey and a seizure and a coma for a week. And um, that was the most severe. And 
I remember waking up in that hospital room a week later, I'd probably lost about 20 pounds. I woke up to the feeling of being extubated, which is incredibly uncomfortable. And when my eyes started focusing, I saw this green blob and uh, my eyes focused a little more. And I saw that that was my stepdad in a green shirt. And my first thought was, I'm not even his kid and he's here and he wants me to be here and he's happy that I'm alive. And, and, and these people want me around and I'm just, I'm tearing up right now. Cause it just, it's just a lot, but you know, I just realized there's, there's people that want me around. There's gotta be something I can do to make this life meaningful and, and give back to them in the way that, that they've given to me with the fact that just, just showing up, sometimes showing up is the most beautiful thing you can do for someone. And just seeing him there and, and thinking, you know, I, I'm not even his kid and he's here and he loves me and he, he wants me there. And uh, that was huge for me. And um, it was, uh, you know, I mean, I did have another attempt a month later, but it planted that seed of let's, let's make something of this life. Let's try to, you know, and I just didn't have the tools yet to avoid attempt number three, because I wasn't um, in a great place and it was a really dark spot to come out of, but it started, it started that journey. It really did. If you don't mind me asking, when was your last attempt? So number three, so number two and three were within a month I, of each other. I believe that was 2014. So if I, yeah. So you have six years. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Because the, the, you know, this conversation is needed. There's many people yeah. who need to hear that. Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, you know, you were just talking about, you know, a, a purpose and stuff along those lines and, and just doing what you are doing right now is, is has such a such a huge effect. And it's such a uh, like a, uh, just rays of 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 goodness that are just being like shot out, you know, in, into the ether here. And, and and I'm sure you've heard this and you know this, but like, you know, just for some people to hear another story that that's like their, that can be their, their first step onto, you know, telling mm-hmm. their story one day. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And that's um, it, it means the world to me because despite the fact that we all have to make a living and keep the lights on and feed ourselves, the reason that I do this is for those moments of connection with people who, who can see their story within mine. And I, um, I actually spoke at a a college last year, I want to say, and it was a split class between police foundation students and child and youth worker students. And I was um, helping cover their crisis intervention unit. And I shared quite a bit of my story. And I got a message about this long after the, the class through my website from one of the students who said, I have never met someone with my diagnosis, let alone someone well spoken, successful, happy, who's um, doing what they love doing and helping people in the process. And that gives me hope that I can complete my program in a helping profession and go on and do something similar. And I was like, that is, I that's can, what it's about right yeah, there. Exactly. That's what it's about. And it just, that made it all worth it for me. Absolutely. Thank that's you. awesome. That's, that's that awesome. so awesome. Thank man. you. Very much. Awesome. Wow. You, you're so awesome though. You really, are. <laughs> like, it's so cool, man. So you've um, actually done, let me just say this really quick. You've, you've just from what I've heard now and, and some of the stuff that I've seen online, 
you have done quite a bit, you know, for being, um, you know, the young 33. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, you've done a lot. (laughs) Thank you. That means a lot. That's very encouraging to hear. Yeah. I'm 48 years old and it's like, I, I really didn't start to really understand what was going on in me and, and, you know, until like seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was just a succession of one thing after another. And I, I, I felt for a very long time that I had nothing to offer. Mm-hmm. But what I've realized is, is that we all have something to offer. Yep. We all have something to offer. There's no matter, somebody will relate to something that you have no matter what. And like you are doing so many things. So thank you so much for being here. It's awesome. Thank you. I'm yes, really excited you. I was able to be here with you guys. I, I'm oh, really grateful. We thank I'm you for so, reaching out. I'm glad you're so I'm so glad you reached out. It's so awesome. Um, so we usually finish up the podcast with three questions. Okay. And there's two semi-serious questions and one non-serious question in the middle which is okay. the one that i ask because i'm usually the non-serious guy here. um <laughs> which is so which let, is pretty scary to think about it yeah really it is true because because <laughs> i can be pretty dark at times <laughs> so i'll let tim so, ask the first one so do you have a favorite or a least favorite word Ooh. um I think I would have to say in terms of favorite word, it's going to be really straightforward. I'm going to say vulnerability because that is just huge in not only mental health awareness, but anything that we do in life. If we open ourselves up to other people, then we're, we're able to receive and we're able to give. And that's what it's all about. So vulnerability, that's, that's my word. Cool. That's awesome. Do you have a you least have a- favorite? <laughs> Not really. I am a polyglot, a lover of words. I just, the English language continues to amaze me. And I I can't think of a word that I'm like, "Mm, not so much. So, okay. This isn't the second question, but are you a life, are you a lifelong resident of, were you born and raised in in Canada? Yeah. Born and raised in Montreal. So I learned English when I was 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. My grandmother was French Canadian before she came to Vermont. And, right on. And yeah, it's, and I have uh, my, uh, my mother, my mother's side, uh, my great grandmother actually got my grandmother out of France as mm-hmm. Hitler was dropping bombs on the country. So it's pretty crazy how wow. things really are. But I'm terrible at the French language. I tried <laughs> so bad. I really wanted to learn French and I just could not get, I just, I'm lucky I can say my name in French, Guillaume or, or au revoir. It's just, it's crazy. <laughs> so the second question is cat, dog, or other? I have a dog and I love him, but I always feel the need to ask my fiance if we can have an alpaca and he continually says no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Nobody's ever said alpaca before. <laughs> <laughs> they make great sweaters. Like you true, turn yeah. them down, they make great sweaters. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. That's a, that's a first right there. Yeah, that is a first for sure. Awesome. So if there was, if there could be something, if there is something that you could do um, for mental health as a whole mm-hmm. without any, any kind of restraints, what would it be? What would you like to see kind of thing like that, if that makes sense? Mm, I would like 
to see oh there's so many things to choose from um i can i say two sure say whatever you want okay i would really like to see a lot more opportunity for teachers at younger grade levels to start that conversation with students because i know so many children struggle when they're younger and they're just not given the opportunity or even the words and the language to express what they're going through. And I don't think that's any um, lack of desire from teachers. I think it's just the system is a little constricting right now and we need to open that up a little bit. And then the second would be to keep fighting for better mental health training for first responders, especially law enforcement. I think that's hugely important. I, I agree, especially here in the United States. Mm -hmm, um, absolutely. Most of those guys are are walking around with their own traumas that yep. they haven't addressed. And there's a lot of people that are walking around unregulated, as we like to say here, mm -hmm. that just have not like, and, and again, we, we, you know, it's like, you don't have the language, you don't have the the history of it and, mm -hmm. and, and men especially, and, and not the, but it's like, and I, and I realize that from your blog post that we just, you know, toxic masculinity is, is one of those things that is, is not just a buzzword. It, it yeah. really can be for a lot of people, not necessarily everyone, but a lot of people do struggle with that. Mm -hmm. and, and it's very hard to, it's very hard to, to talk emotionally when you're, you're a man. Cause I I've had conversations with people and they're like, emotions get me killed mm -hmm. because that, and that's really what they think. You know what I mean? Because if you got a, empathy kills me yeah, and it's, and it, and, and that's a conversation. I, I guess that that's a longer conversation that we have to have with people who can actually like talk to that thing. But yeah. Um, but it is, it is. I think that a, I think that's kind of what kind of to piggyback on what Valerie said, which you know well that I've always preached is, is if we can start at a younger age and, and incorporate yeah. this in, into the education system, it's almost as if we don't need to talk about all that other stuff because 90% of it will just be taken care of with what we're going to, what, you know what I mean? As, as well, we yeah, grow but... and learn. Well, that's true. But again, you can't, if you're not willing to address one thing or the other, you're never going to start anywhere. So where do you start? You got to start at the point that you see the most damage. Well, sure. But you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to have, you're going to have better humans. You're going to have more regulation mm -hmm. with emotions and everything else. Oh, I, you know? oh, I totally agree. So. I totally agree. But you do have to start young and we don't teach that in school. Mm -hmm. And especially here in the States, we teach the test. We teach to right. this little diet, you know, this little paradigm that really doesn't mean anything to anybody except for, you know, That's whatever right. it is yeah. that it brings to. Mm -hmm. Valerie, thank you so much for being here. Thank uh, you for having me. Oh, absolutely. We appreciate Merci it. Merci so beaucoup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, look at this. That's the one thing. That's the one thing that I didn't do today was bone up on my French. <laughs> We do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, if you can just hang out for a few minutes while we finish up, we'd appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, Tim, dude, as always, man, it's time for us to say goodbye for another week, but thank you to Valerie for sharing her story. Yeah, what a great and having, story. And having an awesome conversation. And uh, if you can check her out, it's ValerieBroso.com, right? 
Yeah, see, there we go. And you can always check us out at uh, AboveGroundPodcast.net. That's right. If you go to our YouTube page, uh, her videos will be attached to ours because I've I've liked all of them and shared them all and, and stuff. So you'll be able to find her TED Talk and and her bunch of other video, her other videos that she has, and hopefully she'll do more. So until next week, be well, be safe, be above. If you've lost someone to suicide, you may feel overwhelmed by grief, confusion, or even anger, but you are not alone. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention offers support in the weeks and months following a suicide. The Healing Conversations program gives those who have lost someone to suicide the opportunity to talk with a caring volunteer. Having experienced suicide loss themselves, our volunteers know firsthand the emotions associated with this type of loss. They can offer comfort and guidance, as well as community resources that may be useful on the path ahead. Healing Conversations are available in person, on the phone, or by video chat. To learn more about the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and how to schedule your own healing conversation, please visit afsp.org forward slash healing conversations.